Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you to come this morning and we ask that you would uh, teach us your word, that you would open our minds to understand what you want us to, to know and to live through. We invite you, Lord, to come and take your place above us, that you might be glorified and exalted, that our attention and focus would be on you as the author and perfecter of our faith. We give you thanks, Jesus, in your name. Amen. As we resume our, our study in First Peter, we need to remember the context that shaped his letter. Why, why did Peter write this letter in the first place? What prompted his writing? It was to encourage fellow believers to stand in God's grace even as they were suffering in various ways for their faith. At the very end of the book, Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 5.10. And the God of grace, of all grace, who calls you to be his, to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And then he says this. He says, um, With the help of Silas, who I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. These believers that that Peter was writing to were living as aliens and exiles in a very hostile world to Christ. And at times it led to persecution, prejudice, sometimes physical harm. So throughout this letter, Peter continually lifts up Jesus. He reminds us of Christ's redemptive sacrifice, of his power and authority, and of his perfect example of a life filled with obedience and suffering, and of our need to follow him. So this letter is as relevant today as it was when Peter wrote it. Even the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, all who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. On Thursday when I was writing this message or working on it, I got an email from a colleague of mine in Turkey uh, telling what's going on and what's happening in the country and and the challenges that it's facing and uh, the struggles believers are having. Uh, Some are planning to leave the country because of the challenges that are being faced. And what struck me in relation to this this, uh, message today was that there is an American pastor who's worked for 23 years as a pastor in Turkey, and he's currently in jail. Three months, no charges. And it's just because he's a follower of Jesus. And because of the attempted coup that happened months ago, he was caught up in this wave of arrests and so on. So there he sits today, spending New Year's, Um, in a cell because he follows Jesus. This letter is for him. This letter is for us as we face challenges in our lives. You see, suffering comes not just from the hands of people, but there's an enemy who fights against God and against those who follow Christ. This is just one of the realities of being a follower of Jesus. When you give your life to Christ, he takes you from 
the domain of darkness, and he moves you to the kingdom of light. So we live in this light, even as we remain for a time in this world. And it doesn't take much effort to look back to 2016 and to see many examples of evil and darkness in our world. And 2017 will sadly have more examples, but there is hope. That's the amazing thing that God lays before us and in us. In the first chapter of Peter, he says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A new birth into living hope. Hope is alive. It's not stagnant. It's not once for all. It's alive. It grows. It matures. It develops. It deepens over the course of time. And because of that, he can write in verse 6, And all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in various trials. These have come to prove the genuineness of your faith, which is of great worth. So as you come to this passage today in 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17, Peter continues to explain how we can live with God through trials, often through trials based upon what we believe. At this moment, you may be in a trial. You may be suffering for various reasons. You may look back at 2016 and say, oh, thank you, the end of the year. That trial I had is finished. It's a memory now. Praise God. 2017, well, there may be trials for each of us as we move into this year. But we know that God is waiting to walk with us through these trials. So Peter tells us some things. It's very practical what he tells us. Because Peter was somebody who had suffered for Christ and would suffer later on by dying horribly because he professed Jesus. So this is not a book of theory. This is a book of practice based upon the reality of those who understand what suffering is. So what are some of the ways that we can hold on to the hope in the midst of suffering for our faith? Well, the first thing that he tells us is in verse 13. Be zealous or eager for good. He asks rhetorically, a rhetorical question, it's a question you already know the answer to, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Obviously, generally, nobody gets harmed for doing good. That'd be abnormal. If you do something right, normally you're not going to be harmed for it. But Peter amplifies this. And he says, you should be eager or zealous for good. So it's more than just doing good. It's actually being active, being enthusiastic, being zealous to seek that which is good. And he already illustrated this in the previous verses of verses 8 to 12, where he says that we should be um, living in harmony with one another, being sympathetic, loving as brothers, being compassionate, humble. We should be doing these good things in community. And then he says in verse 9 what, you sh- what we should not be doing. Don't repay evil for evil or insult or insult, but instead give a blessing. And he finishes off in verses 10 to 12 by talking about instead of doing evil, seek peace. Pursue it because God is looking at the righteous. 
He's looking at you. He knows what's in your life and what's going on in your heart. And so seeking the good is summed up in the words of Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because loving and doing good to your friends is mostly easy. But loving and doing good to your your enemies is not. But he goes further than this. He says, don't just do good. He says, be good. If you look at these verses 8 to 12 and then into 13, you'll notice there's something more implied than just doing good or actively seeking ways to be good to others. He says that we're to seek what is good, as in being good. Actually, it actually says becoming zealots of the good. Becoming zealous of the good, a continual process where you're zealous for that which is good, as in he is a good person who does good. The distinction is subtle, but it conveys the idea that who would harm somebody who does good because he is good, because they're eager to do what is right. In Proverbs, it says, when a, man, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And Paul, very clearly later on in Titus, says, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Peter's saying nothing new. He's just repeating what he's been taught and what he's living. Be zealous for good works. It's a characteristic of a follower of Christ, that inner urge and desire to do what is right. It should bother you when things are happening and, and you're doing something wrong. There should be a check in your spirit. Mm, that's not right. So in 2017, listen to God. Listen to that voice that he puts in your heart, in your conscience, to guide you to do what is right, even when it doesn't feel like it or you think it's going to bring you harm. Ask him for strength. So we're purified. We're made ready to seek after and do good. And we're doing good not because it's a tactic, a method to avoid harm or suffering. It's because we are redeemed And God wants us to be like Jesus. And this is seen in an inner growing desire and commitment to do what is right and what is good before him. But, as Peter well knows, and as we all well know, sometimes being a good person does not exempt us from suffering. I have a a friend who, who loves this expression. She always uses it for some reason. No good deed goes unpunished. Seems her motto in life. She's always, oh, I, I helped that person and look what happened. No good deed goes unpunished. So why should I bother doing good? But she still does good. Sometimes no matter how much good you do or how much you love others, you can end up suffering for doing what is right. And so Peter addresses this. And he tells us that we're to sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. But even if you should suffer you're going to suffer for what is right. You are blessed. Let me read that again. Listen to that. If you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. We don't normally associate suffering and blessing together. Suffering is bad. Who wants to suffer? 
Blessing is good. It's a favor of God. How do these two things connect? If anything, when we face suffering, our first thought is, how do I end the suffering? What do I do to stop this? We don't look at this as a blessing. What is Peter talking about? How can we relate suffering to blessing? When you have these kind of questions, if you read in the Bible and you go, what does that mean? One of the first things you should do after praying is to see, what does Jesus say about this? Is there any place in Scripture where Jesus talks about suffering and blessing? And if you do, you'll find a Sermon on the Mount in one of the Beatitudes. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, there's a blessing. If you're persecuted for righteousness, God gives you, he brings you into his kingdom in heaven. Peter also explains this later on in 1 Peter 4.14, where he says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, very directly, if you are insulted because of Christ's name, you are blessed. Why? He tells us. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you're persecuted for Christ, God gives you his spirit. It rests upon you. And of his glory rests upon you. And of course, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, as Peter says in verse 3.9. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. So in some way, I don't understand, God takes suffering as a vehicle to bring us into blessing. I don't know how that works, but it's a pattern in God's kingdom. You're sitting here today naming Christ as your Savior because he suffered. You are blessed because he suffered. I am blessed because he suffered. Blessing and suffering are related, even in the author of our faith. It is no different with us as we follow him. So we can live in God's blessing, even if we suffer. But Peter goes on, continues on from saying that, uh, you know, even if you should suffer, you are blessed, by giving us an exhortation, an admonishment. And in this, there are four elements here. It's his exhortation to believers who are suffering. There are, are two negative and there's two positive. The negative basically is what you shouldn't do. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. You know, he takes and looks back to Isaiah 8, 12. And he quotes from that passage. In Isaiah 8, 12, at that time in the life of Israel, Judah was on the verge of being invaded by the Assyrians. And they were terrified. War is coming and we will lose. So God gives Isaiah these words that Peter repeats. Isaiah literally said, do not call a conspiracy everything that this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. And then he completes it in verse 13 by saying, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. So Peter is saying, when you face suffering or challenges, do not fear or have no fear of what the situation will bring. Do not be frightened or troubled. That is, not giving in to fear. 
whether the people or the circumstance. This is not easy to do. Uh, no one wants to suffer, and when it happens at the hands of others, it can lead quite normally and naturally to fear, to anger. Even if suffering is a result of circumstances, we're not to be troubled or angry. And these are hard words to say and hard words to receive. Edwin Bloom, in his commentary on First Peter, writes, In the heat of conflict, it is impossible for human nature, apart from divine grace, to respond redemptively and with self-composure to evil intentions. Fear and intimidation are natural. And yet Peter here admonishes us not to fear, but is said to respond in a different way. And this requires Jesus himself to step into our lives and to give us grace. This is the positive side to Peter's exhortation. It is what we should do. He says in verse 15, the first part of it, But in your hearts, set Christ apart as Lord. Peter uses a a word that can mean sanctify or set apart. The idea here is to venerate, to adore Christ, and to consciously, continually acknowledge him as Lord in your heart. This is an inner commitment to ensure Christ is where he deserves to be in your life, at the center and in control. It is not just that Christ is in your heart. It is that he is Lord or master over your heart. Why is this important? Suffering naturally draws our attention to ourselves. It's normal. If I hit my thumb with a hammer... I'm not thinking about what's for dinner. I'm thinking about, uh, this hurts. The focus is on me. And that is normal. It's a natural reaction. However, Peter boldly tells us to do something else. As a process, instead of focusing on the suffering or the cause of suffering or the fear, Peter says focus on Jesus and not on anything or anyone else. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. How do you do that? I mean, you're in pain. How do you set Christ apart in your heart? It requires one to come to the Lord and say, God, I give you everything. I know you're in control. I want you to be in control of my heart. I'm setting you apart. I'm looking to you to govern how I feel, how I go through this, my reactions. I'm trusting you. I'm not going to trust in my own emotions or how I'm feeling or what I think I should do I'm going to rely on you I'm going to look to you read your word seek you seek the counsel of others with the focus of being on you it is with Christ in your heart that moves Peter to tell us a second positive thing that we do in the midst of suffering and this again is a bit counterintuitive he says always be prepared to give an answer, a reason for the hope that is in you. We don't often think about that when we're struggling. The word translated as answer in this text is apologia. That's where we get the word apology from. 
The word apology now in our day, as we use it, is I'm sorry, I did wrong, I apologize. But in, the, in this sense, it means not that. It means to give a defense, a formal defense. It's from where we get the word apologetic. It's a defense of the hope that, is, that, that you have within you, which is the explanation of Christ. So Christ is set apart in your heart. He's in control, even though you may feel out of control. And then as people look at your life, they may ask, they may want to know why you're reacting the way you are, and we give an answer. Edward Bloom again wrote, a mindset rooted in Christ's uncontested lordship produces boldness both to resist intimidation and to offer an apologetic. So not only does does Peter tell his, his readers, his audience, to do good and be good, But he says to replace fear with Christ over your heart and then be prepared to tell anyone who wants to ask or wants to know why you have hope. In fact, he says to be prepared to give an answer. What answer will you give? What will you say to somebody who asks you, why are you the way you are? Maybe you're a naturally happy person at work or school and people get irritated. Why are you always so happy? It's early in the morning. It's, why? Why are you smiling? Huh. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus. It's a reason to give her hope. How can you handle this trial you're going through? You know, there's people that I know who, if they face the same trial some of you have faced, their first reaction, some believers would be, I'm angry, I can't take this, I want to hurt something, I want to run away, I want to take drugs, or whatever, to try and escape. You don't do that. Why? How are you coping? It's a reason now to give an answer for the hope. It's because our hope is firmly in Christ. He is your hope, and because of him, you can face and overcome persecution and trials. It may seem really strange that suffering can provide a platform from which to tell the gospel, but this, too, is one of the blessings he gives us, an opportunity to testify of his grace. So Peter strongly urges any defense of our faith to be presented with, with a couple of qualifications. In verse 15 and 16, he tells us to always respond with gentleness and respect. Words answer persecutors. Quiet dignity is far more effective than any argument. Paul says it in Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Because each person requires sometimes a different aspect of the answer. We don't answer everybody in the same way. We ask God's wisdom to guide us in that. Peter also says to keep a clear conscience. In fact, he says, keeping a clear conscience in the text. What is a clear conscience? A clear conscience is that you have no inner condemnation. My conscience is clear. I'm not engaging in self-criticism. God knows exactly what's in my heart, so I can be honest with him. And if there's something there that is not right before him, I confess it. I repent. I turn away and turn back to him. Because we're purified 
by the presence of Jesus so that there is no hypocrisy in our words or deeds. We're not faking it. We're hurting, but we're not saying, oh, have hope in Christ, and I'm just saying because I'm supposed to say it, but I don't feel that way. That's not having a clear conscience. And of course, it's hard to keep a clear conscience. That's why Peter says, keep doing it, keeping a clear conscience. Keep setting Christ apart in your heart. Keep walking with him. And as we do, accusers can hear, see, they can know we are innocent. It's how to respond to suffering as a testimony of God's grace. Peter, early in 1 Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So there are ways that Peter talks about walking through suffering. He says, do good. Be a good person. Set Christ over your heart and be ready to give an answer to those who ask. And finally, it's about submitting to God's will. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There are times when we cannot avoid suffering. Being and doing good, setting apart Christ as Lord in your heart and dealing gently and respectfully with others may not stop persecution. It may not stop the gossip, the slander, the chatter, the punishment, the past over promotion. Peter recognizes this reality and again urges us to choose the better way to respond to unjust suffering. One possible reaction is to respond in kind. It goes something like this. You're talking to yourself. It's self, self-conversation. You know, everything I've done has been respectful, polite. I've sought the best. I'm living with a clear conscience as I serve Jesus, and no matter what I do, I'm still being singled out. I'm still mistreated or punished. I'm still mocked for my faith. So I am justified to lash out, to protect myself. And if that means doing a bit of evil, well, that's what I'll do. Now, we don't call it evil. What we call it is getting even, being a passive-aggressive, or simply wishing the worst for those who are harming you by withholding the good. I won't do my best. I'm going to hold something back because I'm angry. That's how I'm going to treat and respond to unjust suffering. Again, this is a normal reaction. We're human beings. That's, That's how we respond. However, the consequences of this type of reaction can be to suffer. So you end up suffering because you're doing wrong. And you end up reinforcing what you get. Have you ever been in a situation where two people are are arguing and for some reason you step in the middle? What happens to you? You're the focus now. Sometimes when we're suffering... If we respond in an inappropriate way, it justifies that person, in their person's mind, that they can, they can continue to harm you. Because you've given them a reason now. Peter says, don't give them a reason. If you should suffer according to God's will, suffer for doing good. Peter says, look, if you're going to suffer, it's better that it's a result of doing what is right. It is better to be holy to keep Christ set apart in your heart because this brings blessing to you and it actually can bring blessing to those around you who may eventually harm others or 
even who will hear the gospel. By doing good, by being good, by seeking God, we honor and glorify God. Ultimately, Peter points out that it can be God's will for you to suffer. How does that work? It's God's will for me to suffer? Remember, God can use suffering as a vehicle to bring blessing. If we hold, it, if we hold this perspective that God is in control, he knows what's going on, even if we don't, he knows what's ultimately for the best, then we allow him the authority that he has to lead in our lives. Because it's part of his greater purpose. And again, this is very hard to say. It's very hard to live. Because suffering and pain are real, not theoretical. And there are times when we simply do not know why things happen. They're beyond our understanding. But how we live through those times, as we live in hope in the midst of unjust suffering, becomes a testimony and a witness to ourselves and to others of the truth of Christ. As we depend and lean on Christ, Christ can transform us in ways that could happen in no other way than for us to go through these situations. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As we come to a conclusion, I'll leave you with this. Never think in suffering, never think that God does not know or does not care about what's happening to you. His love for you has already been demonstrated on the cross. No one has suffered more than Jesus. When he bowed in the Garden of Gethsemane and wept blood, as he carried your sin, my sin on the cross, the weight, I can't even bear a day of my sin, let alone somebody else's. He took it everything. He knows exactly what it means to suffer. He knows exactly what you're going through. And he's already shown us his love on the cross, just so that you could be with the Father, even if we suffer for a short time. His love for us is beyond description. We live in his love. We walk with Jesus through life, including times of trial, pain, and suffering. And he knows how to walk with us. We're filled with the very Spirit of Christ who grants us grace to honor him as we struggle through difficulties. And so Peter is telling his audience, I know you're suffering, but God brings blessing. And God knows and God is with you. And as you're walking through this, be eager for the good. Don't stop doing good. Don't stop seeking God. Set Christ apart as Lord in your heart and to submit to his will, no matter what it is, as you seek him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, Sometimes your word is, is difficult. Sometimes, Lord, it's difficult in this life to, to walk through struggles and suffering and challenges, God, that harm us or harm those around us. 
But Lord, you know exactly what it is that you're working out in our lives. Just as you did with Job, Lord, you do with us. You don't tell us why, you tell us how to live. Lord Jesus, I pray that in this coming day, in this weeks, and in this year, as we, we look to the life around us, that you would continue, God, to remind us to live in hope, to eagerly seek the righteous, God, and to set you apart over our hearts, and to submit joyously, Lord, to your holy will, that in your will, God, we might please you and be the people you want us to be. In your name, Jesus, we do pray. Amen.